Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And my name is Jessica Tercero. And this week, we watched Jumanji! Jumanji! Jumanji, Jumanji, Jumanji. <laughs> um, and this is our first week uh, recording through quarantine, so we are not in the same room. We are looking at each other through FaceTime. And we look cute. We do look very cute. Wondering. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is definitely um, going to be a fun uh, test, uh, at least just through the process of seeing how this goes, how it works, because uh, we still want to provide really fun and cool content even through all of the um, current pandemic chaos that is consuming the world at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows how long it's going to be like this? But I mean, let's try to maintain some sort of normalcy i guess and also like have some fun because um the world is terrifying right now and we hope that everybody is staying so safe oh absolutely yeah staying home staying safe staying away from each other it's the only way we're gonna find any sort of semblance of normalcy in the foreseeable months so yay us yay y'all let's be safe together (laughs) so I am a little bit biased with Jumanji because it is one of my favorite movies. Like, I have such a fondness for it growing up, but every time I've gone back to it, I've still loved it, and this time was no different, but I feel like I love it even more now. Okay. Looking at it through this lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I get that. It was really interesting watching this because a lot of, like, the small nuances and the characters and stuff... I forgot existed and then certain scene will pop up like I remember this I remember this scene I remember that you know like something I haven't seen in probably 20 20-ish years maybe maybe 19 years <laughs> it's been a long time since I saw this movie but yeah it really like it was a great movie I think it's actually one of the first memories I have as a human person seeing this in <gasps> theaters so cute so I remember really? yeah I was too young to be in the thing like I was very young and i remember having to leave when the bats showed up because i was scared oh no! yeah which is the first fucking scene <laughs> kind of like it's the first intro to the movie um, it's before the title card almost i think so it was very much like bats no i'm out basically. i'm three years old i can't do this <laughs> yeah. oh man that's so cute yeah um I'm very excited to do this and to get into it. And I hadn't like really watched the, so I, I'm sure you guys know, like when it comes to like uh, remakes and stuff like that, I'm always kind of like, Ugh. but I mean, I've been proven wrong, right? Like we've seen on this podcast, but like, this is one where I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you know, and it's not a remake. They're uh, continuations of the story, which is kind of cool, kind of which fun, is cool, but yeah. like, it's, um, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. I was impressed, or like to some degree impressed, how they did continue the story from the first to the second. And actually, I guess I didn't realize that it was a continuation, not a retelling. The the first time that I watched the remake or what would be the continuation of the story, um, I didn't realize that it was just Mm -hmm. that, a continuation as opposed to a remake. But that falls still under our premise for the podcast. So boom, 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 boom. Fuck yeah, it does. <laughs> That's why we are loose yeah. with our description. Because <laughs> it can include So we have all. more content. Yeah. All of the things. Oh my gosh. 
man, can you wait until like we uh, run out of material? Which Hollywood, we're never going to do that because Hollywood just wants us to be a thing. Oh, yeah. But then we start doing like the Fast and the Furious series, right? And shit like that. And then we do like, I don't know, like uh, we get into like sequel territory. Like, okay, cool. We did a Transformers episode, but like now it's going to be Transformers 2 and 3 and blah, blah, blah. Oh, man. I, yeah. You did say Fast and the Furious, and legit though, I would love to do Fast and the Furious because that is a very fun franchise that I feel like by the eighth movie really understood what it was trying to do. And I think like the newest trailer I just, I well, I didn't just see, but like relatively recently saw, and it is a mess. And I'm like, oh, they know what movie they're making now. They are finally like, we're this is silly you know it's silly we know it's silly just go off like go all the way silly and they did and i'm very thankful for that that somebody was like you know what and they were like okay (laughs) i think i've only watched like the first and maybe the second one and then after like i mean i just i was too stuck in my like uh space operas and uh (laughs) sci-fi shows but yeah i'd I'd be done yeah that would be super fun Let's do it. Anyways, do it. Okay. we should talk um, about Jumanji anyways, instead of Fast back and to Furious. Jumanji. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do cool. this. First episode. Here we go. In 1969, New Hampshire, a young Alan Parrish is disgruntled and, while exploring his autonomy, bullied by his peers and family. One day, he hears the drums of Jumanji calling and, after answering, gets sucked into the game and is presumed dead. 26 years later, a grief-stricken Judy and Peter Shepard move into the parish house with their aunt, Nora. One morning, they also hear the drums of Jumanji calling, and like Alan before them, they begin to play the game. Wild shit happens, grown-up Alan Parrish comes back, and in order to end the game and the chaos, they subsequently seek out Sarah Whittle, who was playing the game with Alan when he disappeared. After a stampede, a shootout, and a car full of monkeys, we end up back at the house, which is turned into a rainforest cafe. They beat the game and say, Jumanji! Jumanji! (laughs) So I loved rewatching this. This was so fun for me. This was a treat. A true treat. Yes, 1000%. I'm so happy that we watched this and this movie holds the fuck up. And not only does it hold the fuck up, like... It is kind of like the gold standard for like how to talk, like talk about your feelings and like be yes and and like, you know, it's okay for people to feel things. And like, I like, I don't know. I was just blown away by like this whole fucking movie is about trauma and grief and how to deal with those and how to heal from mm-hmm. those and how like you need other people and other things to like yeah. rely on and the children are like almost like coping mechanisms and things like that for that you know and then with that take and then at the end like him finding them and inviting them back into his life mm-hmm. even though he's good and like yeah. yeah this movie is fucking beautiful and everything about it is wonderful yeah uh, I can't I also just love the cast like off the bat Patricia Clarkson, who plays his mom, uh, young young Alan Parrish's mom, love her. Like her face work in that scene when he's at the dinner table. I'm just like, yes, mm-hmm. love Patricia Clarkson. Give it up. I do want to say off the bat that Kirsten Dunst is queer canon. Kirsten Dunst in Jumanji is queer canon. Um, 
That's it. She was perfect. She was, I, I like, her lying to the realtor, I was like, yes. Her one-liner about like, we should stay at a Motel 6. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and she just like, she was absolutely perfect. Like, I can't even. Oh, and then uh, when they see the bat, she's like, well, now I know why you found the house so cheap or whatever. Like, she's such a little asshole. And I'm like, this is gay media. This is gay media. Kirsten Dunst just really giving it all she's got. And she's like 12. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, yeah, whatever, like the whole time. And I'm so glad that she got this role because like they like apparently Scarlett Johansson also tried out for this role when she was a kid. So it could have. What? Yeah. Isn't that wild? Um, I didn't even know that she was acting as a child. Neither I don't know. I. I was, it was so, I, I remember texting you and I was like, holy shit, Kirsten Dunst is in this movie because I totally fucking forgot. Like, you know. Yeah. And then I was just like, holy fuck. But like, okay, if we're diving into her character first, her character, like you said, is like kind of an asshole to everybody. But when you look at how she treats her her brother and the other people that she decides to let into her life, right? Mm-hmm. Because the people that she lies to and the people that she's like kind of more of an asshole to are outsiders, people that she doesn't want in her inner circle. Yes. But the care that she takes for her brother, right, where she's like um, she's laying in bed with him and she's like she's trying to like be there for him and say like, hey, I believe you. Hey, it's OK. Like, hey, like feel your feelings. It's fine. Uh, this is what's going to happen. And like, I was just like, <sighs> like she's, she is just very yes and. And she's like, I believe you. I like, you know, I hear you. You're valid. Like, and holy shit, like 1995? Really? This is like, this is a character that was written as a fucking 12 year old? Like, holy shit. Yeah, honestly, that's why I, I, I also like, because it's very much like, like you were saying, it's it's this character who's dealt with trauma, like the passing of her parents, like she's dealing with that. It's a fresh thing. It's current. But they're not trying to go so overt with the character or she's not trying to go so overt with the character as to be like, I'm mad because my parents are dead. It is such a subtlety of like that. The care she gives for those she's close with, the the subtle performance of that, and then like her kind of being a low-key asshole to everybody else. I was like, they're not trying to rub this storyline in our face they're not trying mm-hmm. to to be super overt with it it just it was one of those really subtle characteristics within the story within her character specifically that i was like ah oh, so good it was so good yeah well and <laughs> she also like i said like she just believes her brother she believes him and she does her best to help him communicate and like yeah. so like yes she's going through this grief and everything herself but she's also trying to help the people that she's like she's decided are allowed in her inner circle in her life right mm-hmm. and like the same thing with um with Peter too because he like he just takes a fucking vow of silence he's like fuck this I don't want to talk to anybody I don't like I don't want to talk about my feelings I don't want to talk about your feelings I don't want to like you know except for his sister right so when he he uh, starts talking to Alan. That's a big fucking deal. Yeah. And the scene where they go to his dad's grave, right? Because they're like, oh, the the parish family, they're over on this street now. And it's like the fucking grave that's fucked up. But like seeing the seeing Peter as a young boy comforting this grown ass man. And like and Robin Williams does such a fucking great job, too, of like, even though he's a grown ass man, you believe that he's still Peter's age, right? Yeah. You, like, that is 
who he is inside. And so he, it's so interesting how they're so kind to, to younger people in a way that uh, a lot of film isn't, where they have this tool set to be able to express these big, giant, complex feelings and distill them in a way that, like, adults uh, have a hard time doing, right? Like, that's why Steven Universe and stuff like that is so impactful, right? Because they take these big, giant things and just, like, distill it to, like, one or two sentences and you're like, woof, okay, you know? Yeah. Like, and, uh, and just being able to show that and and the weight of that scene without being like too overt or too like on the nose or anything it was just super subtle and uh, like and especially like a lot of like film that we would get uh we get about like kids that are grieving or about just kids in general they're fucking monsters and they're monsters to each other but in this even through all of the shit that they go through and everything the brother and sister don't fight once no they're on each other's team the entire time yeah and i love that like that was so cool especially um especially again like going back to what this whole thing is about like relying and trusting in other people in order to move forward and in order to be able to feel these feelings and navigate these uh these complex emotions surrounding things like trauma and grief and in a, in a lot of ways like that's what jumanji represents in itself too right is the event or is the catalyst whatever caused that trauma and that's why the the drums play right and then they get sucked into their trauma or their traumatic experience and when when you uh when you've gone through something that's really hard and that's really tough and that really fucking shakes you to your core it's so hard to get out of it and you need other people to get out of it and you need are you essentially saying you need teammates to help you through trauma to help you through the tough times yeah like so in the in the way that there's different players within the game the game itself representing some sort of traumatic thing the the not necessarily reliance but the help of people close to you impact that game in a way that helps you get to the end of it and to finish it right well yeah like, and process and when yeah. you don't actually deal with it you know and you just keep you're you're just kind of still there it hurts the other people around you too look at what sarah went through and look at her trauma and look at that traumatic event that happened to alan fucked her up you know in a way that she has just like been almost re-traumatized uh, or traumatized in a different way by all of these therapists and all these people that don't believe her and don't believe what she's feeling or or what happened like the the experience itself and then these kids who are like innocent bystanders get swept up in it too like when you don't deal with your trauma and when you live in your trauma yeah it really can be really damaging to to people that you never even thought you never even thought to consider truly yeah i mean 100 percent. i will say there was one moment within that conversation with sarah whittle and um alan parish when they find her initially and they uh ask her to play the game she's like no i'm not doing that i spent so many years pretending that that game isn't real like you you can't just show up here and rebirth all of these same feelings and rebirth all of this trauma you can't do that to me i've worked so hard to get where i'm at when they sit down and she's like i'm not playing and he's like okay give me the dice and she goes to give him the dice and he moves his hand out of the way so she makes a roll i was like i don't like that yeah that i mean that's just manipulation and abuse and then she's like why would you do that with like almost teary-eyed and he's like i've been to the jungle sarah you'll get used to it 
I'm like, no, no, no. But again, right? That somebody <laughs> actually that somebody like bringing an unwilling participant into into this trauma, right? Yes. Like in the confines of this film, she has to play the game in order for them to end it and all the stuff, right? Yeah. But in reality, when you deal with trauma and stuff, you can like there's like some like some people in my life have like gone through like the thing where they want like not like a 12 step program or something, but where they have to like apologize to everybody that they ever fucked over and stuff like that. And they're like, hey, I'm sorry. Everything's cool now. Right. And I'm like, no, everything is not cool. That's great. But I don't have to accept your apology, mm-hmm. you know, because like especially when it's like something like just so deep seated and everything like are you doing this for me because i need to hear it or are you doing this to clear your conscience yeah and also you can't force your timeline onto somebody else's you can't expect somebody to process the same way or at the same pace that's unrealistic and it's also just shitty to 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 force somebody into that situation just because you're ready doesn't mean that they're ready right like even in this moment where, yes, Sarah and um, Alan's trauma is a shared trauma to a certain extent, it's the same event, that doesn't mean that they have to process it in the same way. So him, in in that way, like you were saying, people being like, here's my apology, so we should squash it or it's done. It's like, no, that does, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yeah, well, I did this, so like you'll get used to it. You'll get over it. We'll do this together. She's like, fuck you, no. I've dealt with this a different way just because you've gone through this post-event um, I've done it a completely different way and I'm still processing it to this day. So don't force me to come to any sort of conclusion or to wrap up the growth that I've made into a neat little thing just because you don't want to have a talk about what that means in this moment. You know, I think the pressure of like, we have to beat this game or else we'll die, like adds an element of like, we don't have much time because like, that's just the premise of the movie. But looking at it through the lens of processing trauma or, or struggling with PTSD in that way. Uh, I that that scene it was just like such a stark dichotomy reflection of like somebody who is forcing somebody to be okay in 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 a negative way, right? Yeah, well, and she like you know she's trying to like cope. She calls her therapist because she's so fucked up over this. Uh, you know because like because she spent so much time trying to distance herself from this, and now she's not allowed to at all. You know she's kind of like. She she has this line where she's like, nobody believed me and I was all alone. Yeah. And like, she's kind of like, that's great that you're here, but I can't right now. And like, and that's something that they kind of like don't explore and that they just kind of gloss over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, they didn't have time to go over it and maybe they didn't know necessarily how to go over it because... Um, it's the nineties and mental health is hard yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to represent correctly and represent solutions. Yeah. But moving past that, it's like going again on like the shared trauma and grief and everything. It's like they were all kind of trying to roll with the punches and trying to do what they know is right Yeah. or not right, but, but what, but what they think is right and what they think is best for each other, because like things do get harder before they get easier. And, yeah. uh, and on, if you take it from, uh, like the viewpoint of like, they're having to save each other and having to work through it and having to push each other to be better. That was not the way that he should have 
tried to say like or can communicate like hey we need to do this and i understand that this is hard and stuff like that by tricking her that was fucked yeah and i i don't think that it was out of his character though because he hasn't really had any human contact except for like his nega daddy that's in uh nega jungle daddy (laughs) right yeah so um so for him i think that makes sense because i don't think alan uh, really understood or against was still understanding that this is all his trauma and he's forcing everybody onto that he's still in survival mode and you know when you're when you're dealing with something traumatic you are in survival mode and it, it shows later on too when um alan is talking to peter and he's kind of like yelling at him yes i was just gonna say i was gonna bring this exact thing up i loved this scene. yeah 100%. and he's just like and like you you kind of like you see like grown up like version of uh of alan and he's like wait oh my god i'm so sorry and the reason that he says sorry to to peter is because he sees himself in in the young boy right Mm -hmm. whereas he never really apologizes to sarah in that same way because he doesn't see himself in her yeah he sees a relationship that he's familiar with which was the relationship he had with his father um, and it's one of the only it's like it's the last thing that he said to his father, right? Like he's been gone this whole time. So it's something that he's familiar with, even though he can't recognize, like you said, his relationship with Sarah in this way to to apologize and to say, like, I fucked up. You're seeing growth from a moment of him being manipulative and shitty and not really knowing how to process or understanding that somebody else's process is different. But him in the middle, like he's like, I warned you about this, Peter, but no, you wanted to play the game. Uh, what are you crying? No, keep your chin up. Crying never helped anybody do anything. You have a, you have a problem. You have to face it like a man. And then he stops and then like kind of checks himself for a moment. He's like, you know what? It's okay to cry. I'm sorry I said that. He's like owning, He he's, he's seeing himself reflected in the actions of his father and sort of doing the cyclical traumatic thing where being like, don't be a sissy you're not supposed to cry and being like actually no you should cry i i please i apologize for what i said yeah you know what i'm sorry cry you feel your feelings it's okay it's okay to feel it's okay to process so you're seeing him in that moment sort of understand that people process things differently Mm -hmm. and i like that that growth happened although i wish like you said we got a moment between him and sarah where he does acknowledge that her process is different and that what he did was shitty, right? Like we never get that moment. I feel like the closest thing we get to that moment is them kind of yelling at each other where he's like, well, you're probably with that guy still, right? Like, where, where's he? Aren't you guys have babies and stuff in a car? And she's like, what are you talking about? But again, like, I think it's really important to remember like that Alan's growth was stunted because even though he looks like a man, he's just like he's been by himself in in the jungle stewing on all of these bad things and are these bad thoughts and like all of this anger and jealousy because he was also kind of a shit before he went into the game world. Right. Yeah. And so like uh, all of that makes sense. And like uh, I do wish that later on that we got something from from Sarah. Right. But I think that that moment that he has with Peter was like. You know, if he had had that talk with him any earlier would have been very different. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But like this is where he was he was starting like so they they do a really good job of showing, I think, uh, the subtle ways that um, that Alan starts to grow and starts to think of other people. Because at first he's like, fucking peace out. I'm not going to have anything to do with y'all. And like these kids are like, no, but we're suffering and you 
like you have to help us with this because like you started this <laughs> you know yeah you shouldn't have gone down in that construction site who the fuck are you like why would you do that well i also like narratively they really wrapped up that structure of growth with like say for instance that first scene where he's in the okay we'll talk about um the parachute plant um where they're making the shoes when he goes there he sees David Allen Greer, who's working at the top. He shows him the sneaker, whatever. He leaves the sneaker on the conveyor belt. It gets chopped up. He leaves, even though he sees what's going on and is like, oh, I'm not going to take the fall for this. Then through the growth of the movie, at the end, he's like, oh, and I'm the one who left the sneaker on the conveyor belt. And his dad's like, oh, it's okay, whatever. The way that they treated that character in particular, I'm really upset at. Oh, the tokenization of the only black character in the movie. Yeah. Well, because, okay, so this is what I wanted to get into. Also, his appearance in the movie his debut where we see him first is at the shoe factory, which is like, great. He is the only black actor we're seeing here apart from a couple uh, background actors. Yeah. But not only was the tokenizing of him as the only person of color in these scenes, but also to have him be like this trope about black men and sneakers and stuff. That being like a big point. I was like, you're not only tokenizing this character, but you're also like stereotyping with these things. Yeah. It just, I get it's a shoe factory. I get this. But at the same time, chill. We don't need that. Well, and then throughout like the the whole movie too, like he's the comic relief. His car Mm -hmm. just gets more and more fucked up, you know. And Alan throughout the whole movie continuously lies to him. Yep. Like knowing who the fuck he is and everything. And then handcuffs him to the car. Like, yeah, really? Like I there, there was just so many points where like his his character was not at all thought out and was was the butt of like so many jokes and also of like uh he always got like fucked over yeah like with everything that happened Mm -hmm. so yes like that's cool that at the end he's like i did it dad it was me but also like he didn't fucking before that like he didn't grow at all like that was the easy thing right and at any point he could have just like been like hey i'm sorry or hey this is what's happening hey trust he has the whole thing like hey do you trust me hey okay cool let's go do this yeah yeah fucking handcuff like why that didn't need to happen like not uh at all and i think at large the movie does that character such a disservice the entire time he really like you said he's the butt of the joke he is the He's the pra- he's he's essentially a human pratfall in all of this. He is he is the one that is relied on for the comic relief in a lot of these scenes, especially like the scenes with him and BB Newworth, which love BB Newworth, want to get into that. But like when they're dri- he's like driving in the car, the windows all broken, the doors gone. He's like, "How can I help you?" Like, like business as usual. So, comedy, great. Then when the monsoon happens and the doors fly off and they're on the doors flying down the street and there's like a big alligator and he's like, oh, ah, just like screaming again, not a well thought out character, no depth. He is just there to be the comic relief, which is also like, okay, you have the one black actor who has a name in this story. He's also the one you pin all the jokes to. Not a cute look. Because they also make him look incapable of doing his job well and they make him look negligent the entire time like because there's the shoe on the conveyor belt yep and they try to like frame it in like this lax way which is also really fucked Mm -hmm. um and then like the monkeys get his gun and this happens and it's just like he's way more capable than this like what the fuck yeah this movie fucked at david allen greer over his character at least like just it was not a good 
representation of like who this character was or is. And like you said, they made him so incapable of not just doing his job, but just kind of existing. They made him so it just, it, yeah, it was a, it was a bad, a bad look. I think it's what, that's one of like the only big things that I'm like, ugh, this movie really like for the most part, it did a good job again, talking about trauma, but the, like the treatment of characters of color, it was just like, what the fuck? Okay. Y'all like Jesus. Those are like really like the main parts where it was like, ugh, okay. But like, so much else in this movie was so good. Well, yeah. You know, I, like I do want to point out another scene when they're having that moment where Sarah is coming back into the story as far as like being a part of the game. Alan calls her crazy and she just snaps back. Don't ever call me crazy, Alan. No. Like, so she's initially like the word. She's like, absolutely not. We're not using that language. Don't. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't say that not the right thing to say, stop. And I love that because a lot of movies, especially at this time, I mean, that kind of stuff, they treat mental illness with such lack of empathy with any lack of like respect. And so for her, this main character to be like, no, we're not using that word, stop. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also really loved Nora, the aunt that like just adopts the kids. It's just like, all right, fine, let's make it work. And she like takes them to a new city and buys this baller ass house and is like, there's no man around. She's just like, yeah, I got this, whatever. Yeah. You know, and she's like, cool, kids, I'm going to do it. And she like knows the kid's number too. So like when, uh, when Judy is like, you know, like our parents died tragically and a blah, 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 blah. And she's like, they were like accountants or marketing. Yeah. They were in marketing or whatever, right? She has a really good sense of like uh, knowing when to push and pull with the kids and knowing like when they just need to be themselves. Like we never see her like losing her shit or being an asshole or anything. And then we also see her like doing work on herself yeah. when she's like in the car when the stampede goes. Like she's listening to like some um, uh, some sort of like self-help or self-betterment book, right? And I'm like, fuck yeah like all right cool like she's she's fantastic yeah she was great she was she should have i i liked her character even though she wasn't only in it for like just a small amount of time but she's like super brave super confident super sassy and super just like i'm gonna handle this like and i was like fuck yeah well because i also like this i mean Obviously, for me, when this movie came out, this was my first introduction to B.B. Newirth, my first introduction to Kristen Stewart, I think maybe even my first introduction to Robin Williams. So, like, a lot of these people in this movie, I forgot were in it until fairly recently. Um, B.B. Newirth is fantastic. She's been in so many good things. She's fucking awesome. So, just seeing her in this, I was like, yes, I love B.B. Newirth. I love that she's in this. This is really great. Ugh. One of my notes is just, B.B. Newirth, we stand. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Oh, one other thing I wanted to say um, about Kristen Dunst's character and just the general. um, I I made a joke about like her being queer canon, but I think her character as being sort of this um, kind of performative, but also the fact that she just like lies a lot and like makes shit up apart from um, those close to her, there's an element of like being a young queer person having to like hide and perform for people. And, like, making shit up on the fly and just, like, going with it that, like, I feel like a lot of young queer folks resonated with when watching her. Where, like, 
She's making shit up to the real realtor. She's like quick-witted. She's fast. She can make something up on the drop of a hat. Even when the stampede happens and the phone rings and it's Nora and she's like, what's happening? What's going on over there? She's like British accent, immediate. I'm sorry, dear. You have the wrong number and like hangs up and then <laughs> leaves. I'm like, this is exactly that. There's like this, this level of sh- social performance that she's exhibiting that like I feel like would resonate with a lot of young queer people in a way where you're having to hide again. You're not, you're not able to be honest or be forthcoming or, 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 or earnest in a lot of ways because you don't want to be outed or you don't want to be hurt by um, the general public. So for her, at least for me, a lot of my like, yes, her in this movie, boom, 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 boom. It was that like that, those characteristics that resonated with me the most. It's that like very fun, very sharp, performative, closet existence yeah well and that also like speaks true because like there's a lot of um almost every time that we see her like stretch the truth or lie or you know like it's it's because of like something having to do with like self-preservation or like you know um protecting yourself from other people so like each time we see her like employ that tactic it's because of she's trying to protect somebody she's trying to protect herself she's trying to make things uh, a little bit less shitty, right? Mm -hmm. And the other one does this too, where something that is otherwise characterized as like a weakness or like, you know, a negative trait actually becomes a strength and is something that that is helpful in the long run. Yeah, 100%. Uh, She was great. I loved her. (laughs) She was, yeah, she was fucking fantastic the whole time. Also, Peter, like, okay, since we're talking about Judy, let's talk about Peter and how self-aware he is like both of these kids for sure are super self-aware of like uh of themselves of their feelings of how other people perceive them right for like a eight and 12 year old right like i had no idea about any of this shit right but like um like peter is like he comforts um alan who and he's just like hey it's okay to grieve it's okay to be sad you know in that in that graveyard scene right yeah and then uh he also is like hey it's okay to be afraid and like because alan's a coward even as a as a fucking grown adult he's like i'm not afraid i'm not afraid bubble and he's like yeah whatever like it's fucking chill you could be afraid and like then uses reverse psychology on fucking alan like and i was just like oh my god yes and he like calls it out too he's like yeah it's reverse psychology dad used to do it to me all the time and i'm like fucking kid like all right cool and like also he's um again like so there's so much kindness in the world right like uh the sibling relationship we've discussed like there's the the old man that's squatting at uh the pair shoe factory that literally gives alan clothes right it's just like furthering that like people that don't usually have a lot are the ones to help other people out that need it right yeah but anyways the only time that peter actually tries to like cheat not even like really thinking that it's cheating or anything is to try to end other people's suffering and then he's turned into a monkey right so there's like something's happening and he just like tries to drop the dice on the 12 because he's like i can end this right now yeah i can everybody can be okay if i just do this and he wants everybody to be okay and he wants everybody to be happy and to just chill and accept their feelings and just be fine yeah, no, I I I loved his groundedness the entire time just again like him owning his his feelings his him owning his 
I guess autonomy, because especially for children that age, a lot of kids, and rightfully so, there's like kids are still growing, don't necessarily own their autonomy in such a way. But uh, Peter is just like dripping with confidence, <laughs> you know? Well, and it's like so interesting too, because like this film just really highlights that people deal with trauma and grief and everything in different ways and at different times and different speeds. So even though he's seeming to handle it a little bit better, he's still he's still in it. And he still heard the call of the drums, you know, which is like also showing that there isn't like a target for for trauma or for things like that, right? It can happen to anybody anywhere at any time. So that it's it's not a highlighted trait or the the only trait of a character. It's something that is sort of encompassed and sort of a part of the overall existence and not necessarily something that needs to be highlighted or shouted out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I did also want to, there was a, um, towards the end when they're in the rainforest cafe um, and the, the monsoon happens, um, Sarah and Alan are about to kiss and Sarah's like, Alan, you wrestled that alligator for me. <laughs> and she goes in for the kiss. And he pulls back and says, it was a crocodile. Alligators have that little fringe. And I was like, that is the biggest well actually I've ever heard. <laughs> well, actually, like by a fucking straight man to just jump in on a woman. Like she's like, alligator. He's like, well, actually, it's a crocodile. Like, oh my God, shut up. <laughs> just make out with her. <laughs> Yeah, I just thought that oh, was, man. I thought that was very fun and funny and just like, oh, Jesus, this is a mess. There were like a lot of moments like that um, where the cop was like, does he always act like this? And she's like, he's a vegetarian. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a second, what's going on? Like, what is happening? Um, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, the, this film was fucking awesome on those little one-liners. It made me so happy. Um, can we talk about Daddy Parrish and Van Pelt? Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I didn't realize they were the same person. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But I thought, um, I think it's really interesting because like Van Pelt kind of like, he's essentially how children view their fathers or Alan specifically in this one. Um, but like how he's like something to be feared and he kind of is the trauma or is like a huge cause of like the trauma from his son. Mm -hmm. Cause like then it all like, you know, it all starts when his dad is all pissed off at him and then it ends by like him like c finally confronting his dad and not running anymore. Right. Or like Van Pelt, who is his dad. Yeah, so there's this idea of like running away from the thing most feared, which in the game version of this character is the manifestation of his dad as a hunter who is then hunting the player. So you're literally running from the thing most feared, which will kill you, which is a man with a gun whose only goal is to kill you. So that being his dad being this idea of like, as Alan Parrish is going through the process of understanding and allowing yourself to feel and empathize and process... I think he's starting to see that his own dad has obvious problems and probably some residual trauma or inherited trauma, like some cyclical shit that he's not dealing with. And so through that process is able to confront the thing most feared for him, which is his dad. And at which point he's able to say, I'm sorry, but also let's talk. Right. 
Yeah. And I think a lot of that, too, just has to do with, like, toxic masculinity and not being allowed to show your emotions and everything, too. Because we have that throwaway line. Well, Alan Parrish's dad really loved him. And he's, he uh, spent every dime and the, the shoe factory went under because he was looking for him and all of this. So, But I think he killed him, right? Oh, yeah. Because uh, men are never allowed to show emotion, right? Men aren't allowed to show emotion or like they show love through actions, but because mm-hmm. children often like they talk, they they talk and that's how they express their feelings and emotion. Like yeah. they don't see that. So like I I hated one of the things that I hate about this movie is that Van Pelt like that in the end it's like Oh, but he really did love you and he really did do all that. And he like, you know, this is how he how he acts when you're gone. Like the only time that it's okay to show emotion or love or like care for somebody else as a man is when they're no longer there or when they really need you or something like that. But that's just not something that is there every day. And like clearly his son is uh is deal is having a hard time with that. So rather than you know, like owning up and talking to him or like figuring something out. He's literally just going to send him off to boarding school so he can maybe like learn why his dad acts like this and then, you know, and then come back and then everything will be fine. It's just, it's a dumb trope that I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> that gets implied far too much. It's like the parents don't care about me, but they really care about you now that you're gone. It's like, well, yeah, but like, why can't you care? Like, so that's supposed to make me feel okay is that when I'm gone or when something bad happens to me, my parents are going to care and they're going to be there. But why can't they be that for me now? I think within like this story specifically, having that conversation about male vulnerability being something that is hidden or something that only exists when there's a problem or something that's only confronted when there's a problem, like you were saying. I don't like it as a trope because I'm like, Using it as a trope to identify that it exists, sure. But by using it as a trope, you're kind of re-solidifying it as the way to exist and the way to process because through media, we process all this stuff and it's like, oh, well, if he's doing that, maybe that's how I should do it too, right? So abolishing that is hella important. But in this story, it was just so like, talk to your fucking kid. Like what I I didn't like this this, um, sort of, hard persona this very aggressive fronting of masculinity and of aggression and of uh tying strength to physical strength and not necessarily vulnerable strength or emotion in that way where it's like fuck off just talk to your kid yeah like if you feel like there's a wedge talk to your son like ask him what's going on ask him how he's feeling don't throw like well if i would have known there's a group of them it would have been a different story no fucking don't tell your kid to go get beat up or go fight like figure it out like don't to me the resolution of this like him getting in a fight isn't earning his stripes you asshole like fuck off to me like this this whole (laughs) thing this whole film was about understanding daddy like at at the heart of it, what what Alan needed to do in order to finally be free of his trauma and of all like, you know, and all of this was to stand up to his dad, who's Van Pelt, whatever, but like mostly to understand how 
uh, how that works with regards to like, oh, my dad does love me and I know it. So I'm just going to say, okay, like it's it it wasn't about like the parents like understanding their kid or or bridging that gap or anything. The child had to do that. Yeah. You know, um, and they like he had to go through this giant wild adventure in mm-hmm. order to have that happen when his parents could have just been like, hey, I love you. This is how I show you I love you, you know, or even just having a conversation like that. But the kid has to do all of the work in understanding his parents. Yeah. You know, so this is this is another film where it's supposed to be about the kid, but it's about understanding adults. Yeah, it's placing the it's placing the entirety. the It's placing the entire emotional weight on the person with the least experience (laughs) yeah like like mary poppins right oh your dad your dad goes through a lot your dad does this right it's like okay cool but i'm i'm eight yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) like i get that this is something that you want but like i'm also eight years old and why can't you just talk to me yeah truly so i just have a problem with that no same i i think that that is shitty and just Blech. Also, but again, I think generally this movie was great. It's some of these smaller sort of themes that got overlooked with its treatment of uh, like everything we've discussed thus far. Right? Generally, it's great, but there are obviously some problematic elements within it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And again, I fucking love, 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 love this movie. And these things are just like, you know how like sometimes you're like. There's like a little small thing and you're like hanging out with your friend and you're just kind of talking shit, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of how I feel this conversation has gone. Uh, Like not because we like these are like these are the things that we latch on to and stuff like that. But it's like like we're exploring these bigger ideas and what they mean and like in, in the context of the story and everything. Yeah. But that's, again, such a small part of the story. Like like I want to talk about how fucking magic uh, Robin Williams is on screen as this character yeah. when he gets out of the game and he's just running around and he's just so excited and he sees his room and he's fucking stoked yeah. and then he goes over here and he's fucking stoked and he's just like he was so believable as this kid that was just fucking excited to see a toilet <laughs> you know? yeah, truly. for the first time in 26 years like he, there was just so much wonder and magic in the way that he portrayed that character and uh and the chemistry that he had with the kids too and how it felt so much of the film felt like they were on that same level they were the, it felt like they were the same age yeah truly it really it that that really sh- shined through in this just that the the relationship with the kids I do also want to say before we wrap up this one, when he comes out of the game, Robin Williams does. Um, <laughs> I put down Robin Williams's legs made me gay <laughs> because Jesus Christ! And I just <laughs> whoa! It was a lot for me, and I, I think I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I. It was yeah, it was great. It was it was just a fantastic moment where I I think especially even younger I recognize like, oh, this is something <laughs> that I am experiencing and feeling in my life. Great. <laughs> you know, and 
watching it again, seeing those scenes, I was like, oh, I remember these scenes. And oh, I wonder why I remember these scenes so clearly and vividly. Like when he's jumping around and then he jumps up and traps the lion, like that whole scene. I'm like, oh, I know. I remember why I cataloged this. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, but that was, I thought that was a fun Loves. little moment. I feel like that's, we got, is that everything? For the most part, that was it. I just, I love this movie so much and I would watch it a thousand times over. Dope, same. I would love to watch this again and I probably will. In 1996, Jumanji, realizing its relevancy is dwindling, turns itself into a video game and sucks up yet another unsuspecting victim named Alex. 21 years later, a ragtag group of detention goers finds the discarded game in the basement of the school? They start to play the game and are immediately sucked in as well. Guided by various NPCs and hella video game tropes, they find their way through the Jumanji world looking for the glowy jewel thingy. Along the way, they find Alex, who has taken up residence at the old parish tree fort. They then realize they need to work together to finish the game and make it out alive. After some dance fighting, cake explosions, and a class on flirting, we end up at the final level. They beat the game and say, Jumanji! I had not seen this before. You said that you had. I had not. And I was like, fuck this. I don't want to watch this. But I was very conflicted because I love Karen Gillan because I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. Oh, yeah. And I just love seeing her and all of the things and getting all of the work. And I think she's gorgeous and she's a fun actor and I just want to see more. Oh, 100%. Yeah. She was great in this. And also looking at her credits, I didn't realize everything else she was in because she was also in Guardians, both of them. Uh Um, Yeah, she's she was great. She's from scotland uh so she had to do an american accent for this which is fun but yeah uh she is great and i love her and um okay so just overall about this i love as a gamer i've been playing video games since i was like five years old i love how much of this they got right like you could tell that the way that they were uh they wrote this and the way that it was paced and a lot of like the humor and a lot of like like they played so well on just so many video game tropes oh yeah and of course karen gillen's character like i was i was a little bit pissed when like at first the first promos were released and i was like really this is what you're gonna put her in like fucking really and then like watching this i'm like oh okay and it was like her character is a direct like was directly influenced by laura croft from like tomb raider and stuff who for sure has like you know like why is she dressed like this and i love that they call that out in in the game this this film is really aware of problematic video game tropes and showing and highlighting them in a way that like that I think is uh, really thoughtful for most of the stuff. Yeah. Like how how there's the one major character, right, who's who has no weaknesses and is awesome and all of the side characters, except for maybe like the one badass girl, like hold them back, right? Like one of the characters is a literal like his whole thing is he's a backpack. Oh yeah. Right? The supporting character, all he does is fucking hold shit. And then the other one, he just could read a map, right? Yeah. And that was really fun for me watching this. And I, I laughed out loud so much more than I thought I was going to. <laughs> and it was just delightful. Yeah, I will say for the most part, I really did. I was surprised and impressed by this movie. Um, I didn't expect it to be good. I didn't go in with any sort of intention of or expectation of 
something that was good or fantastic. I thought I was like, well, it'll probably be fun, probably do well in the box office. I'm sure it'll be fine. I didn't think it was going to be great. And then when I finally saw it, I was like, you know what? I am impressed. This was actually pretty solid, pretty fun, pretty funny. There is one thing that I thought they did a very bad job with trope wise. They relied heavily. So um, one of the characters who ends up uh, playing the character who is Jack Black. So Jack Black is like the avatar for the girl who ends up playing the game. Um, They relied super heavily on him being the comic relief. uh, And the comic side of that is just the fact that he's feminine. So they used a feminine man to be the butt of the joke the entire time, which I thought was really like, I just, I know it's, it's more commenting on like, the pretty girl is now in like the chubby dude. But then that was also a conversation on like not body shaming, but kinda where it's like, Oh, ew, she's like fat now or like, ew, she's hairy. Like, you know what I mean? It just, it felt very, yeah, by itself felt very tone deaf in one note in the sense of like, it was very, it was like a very simple laugh. And like the whole time too, with like, because Jack Black's great. I love Jack Black, but the performance of it, like the, the, the moments where, they're supposed to be kind of earnest where the character is attracted to the other guy. And it's like, Oh yeah. Or something that like she is responding as his character that was supposed to be like funny. And it was like a a comedic beat. And I'm like, why are we setting all these gay jokes up as the comedic beat? Like, so we're just further, like we're, we're making the, what appears to be queer character, the, the butt of the joke. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're right. Like him and, uh, and fridge were, mainly like their entire function was to be the stereotype and the butt of the joke and stuff like that. Yeah. Um I did I I 100% exactly what you're saying. I also think that that character was like the character of Bethany was probably the most well-rounded character mm-hmm. in uh in terms of uh I feel like that's the only one that really had like that and maybe Martha like the women in this film were more three-dimensional than any of the male characters for sure yeah but her specifically because I thought that a lot of this was this film was forcing us to see how harmful our prejudice can be yeah because the first thing that you see is Bethany who's like the Instagram girl that like you know is like setting up her shot and doing the thing and everything and it's like framing the way that it frames the characters is like the very stereotypical like you're not going to like this person this person sucks like you know like or this is who they are like and it's supposed to be funny or you're supposed to be like ew gross you know yeah and um and i think that what they were going for was that with jack black they get transported in the game and then she that instagram girl becomes her avatar is jack black so that's where all this comes from so I think that's kind of where they were going is things aren't what they seem because like, um, and I understand that, but I don't think that it was done in a great way because it was just so overt. Like one of the best fucking parts of the film is where Bethany as Jack Black goes and literally gives her like one of her lives to Alex, yeah. who's like dying and literally going to die. You die in game, you die in real life, right? Mm-hmm. One of those films. But I think that's so great because when we first see her, like you just assume that she's super self-centered and you assume that she's all this stuff, right? But she is the only one that like 
when push comes to shove without even like a fraction of thinking, she just goes over and is like, I'm going to do whatever I can to save your life right now. Like, and I love that, that the person that we think is selfish is actually the like the the most selfless person in this whole thing. Yes, and I I fully agree, and that's what I thought was so. I, that's those are the moments of the movie that I thought were incredibly thoughtful, where Bethany as Jack Black is being selfless and being thoughtful and being empathetic and being considerate and and seeing outside of who she is just as a person or who the movie has set up to show us who this person is. Right. Um. Even within that, just the way that the movie was written in those small moments do a disservice to those characters by making those moments like about sexuality, about penises, like these moments, like they're they're making that more of the punchline and being like, you're not supposed to look like whatever. It's just like, like, because at that moment where like she has to pee, but she's in Jack Black's body. So it's yeah. like, oh, I've been really curious. And so they're going and she's like, oh, being very like, this is really interesting. This is a new thing for me. And the two dudes are just like, don't, don't look. And it's like funny, like, oh yeah, you're not supposed to look. It's just like, hey, well, yeah, let's like, it's just re reaffirming these like really silly binary uh, structures of what is masculine, what is feminine, what is male, what is female in, in a, in a way that I thought was really for a movie that is so thought, well, not so, so thoughtful, but th- for a movie that is thoughtful, I really think a lot of those comedic beats, they did themselves a disservice in the storytelling of it with these characters by making those moments that's comedic. Super, yeah, that's super interesting because I I was so focused on the female characters or the female presenting characters mm-hmm. in this that uh, that went completely over my head. I was just like, because to me, and this could be like a, a misread now that I'm like, that I'm hearing you say this, like, I I saw that and it was like, okay, like, I, I didn't even pay attention just because like, I, I've worked in a machine shop for a long time and stuff like that. And so I'm like, I'm so used to hearing those types of comments, which is sh- super shitty, right? But like, also, I was so focused on uh, Bethany, where she's like, holy shit, I have a dick. Look it, look it, I got yeah. this. Like, she's like, uh, like this new experience, right? Like those moments where she's talking about, uh, oh, cool, I have this. All right. Wow, this is great. This is easy. This is cool. And then like even when she goes back into her normal body, she like just grabs her boobs and she's like, oh, okay, I, I missed you. Like it, it's not like for her, there's that initial shock of like, holy shit, I'm a dude and I'm I'm not the way that I want to look. Mm-hmm. Right. But then once she like accepts that, she's like, yeah, okay. Yes. And because that character in themselves is like just so wrapped up in their own image and everything, right? So yeah. then when they just accept that like I have no control over how I look and this is who I am and I'm just going to own it and it's fine, then yeah. it's like then that opens up like for all of her character growth and everything, right? And then she's just like, cool, I have this now. Cool, I don't have this. And Mm -hmm. I kind of liked that she was like her in that moment was really nonchalant, just like, oh, wow, this is how this works. Okay, this is this is here. Right. But yeah, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to the response of fridge and whatever his name is because i i hated those characters i did not like them at all and i did not every time that they were talking i was just like fuck these guys like they're they're boring and they're like they felt badly written like you said like like those like little homophobia things or like then when it came to like trying to talk out their differences and all this other stuff and it's like you didn't do my homework oh yeah 
And I was like, okay, like the women had this, like, which I want to talk about later, this beautiful scene about judging each other, right? And then their whole thing is, well, you didn't do my homework right. And you suck. And I'm going to, I'm going to push you off a cliff now. And I was like, go to bed. You, like, you're bad. You guys are tired. You need to stop. Yeah, I just, I truly, like, I did love Bethany's character and the performance and the character herself. She was great and her growth, yes, loved. I just, I hated that the movie tied thematically uh, anything that isn't heteronormative or binary uh, reaffirming or queer in any capacity. Those themes, the only time they're present largely are talked about is when they're talked about as like being a joke. As being like, oh, we're uncomfortable. So like the queer thing is the joke or the gender queer thing is the joke or the whatever you know what i'm saying yeah and that's really really fucked and it's like well what made me see what made me see that even more is because the first time i saw it it didn't really resonate with me that way i was just like oh that's fine like whatever it's character blah i watched the second one so not the not like the sequel to this one i watched separately not for this but just in general um fridge in that one is jack black's character and half of the movie jack black is just doing a black accent uh which i was like that i don't okay no this isn't necessary we don't have to do this we don't have like it just it seemed that small moment was like whoa this is really hitting me in a real fucked way and so then watching knowing like that and like how a lot of that was really problematic and shitty. I mean, generally it was fine. It wasn't a great mm-hmm. movie, but it was fine. This one was much better. But seeing that and then going to this, I was like, oh, the queer character is the butt of the joke. Whereas in that one, like, it just, it was, it gave me a new insight to watching this one, a different lens. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, cool. The gay character is the, or the queer character is the bad, funny thing, whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Ah, <laughs> oh, that sucks so bad. Yeah. But overall, I yeah, thought it I was cool. I, I haven't watched the second one. This one, uh, this is my first watch, like I said, and I was just probably, I, I'm sure I would have pick up on what you're saying a lot more if, in like a second watch. Um, mm-hmm. I, fuck, that sucks. That sucks really bad <laughs> because like the the character that's the most interesting and has the most growth and all of that, like the dudes in this suck. Like the dudes yeah. suck. Like they're just so like one dimensional. And so even, even like Al, Oh God, it's another fucking A name. Alex? Is that his name is Alex this time? Alex is like, the Jonas brother, Zac right? Zach Efron or whoever the fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like chilling there and he's like, I'm scared of dying. And you're like, okay, like that's <laughs> fine. And like his whole thing is like that he's just scared. He's scared. Like, but at the like, same okay. time, like look at your fucking treehouse. You have a full oven from a kitchen in your treehouse. You have blenders and shit, which is like, Queen, where did you get those? Stop yourself right now no ma'am yeah and then like his plight is like oh my margaritas are so good they're like his margaritas are so good you're like okay what is happening (laughs) like (laughs) to me that felt very video game yeah right like my superpower is making margaritas and my superpower is drinking margaritas we're made for each other and it's like okay like i i feel like just the dudes did not have any they didn't grow at all no like the women were so much more interesting like and there was like i i just kept like finding myself while the movie's going on i was just thinking about other moments that had just happened like the um okay we'll go to the scene between uh, bethany 
and Martha where they're talking about how they keep judging each other. It's like, hey, you judge me. And it's like, look, I don't hate you. Like, Bethany was like, she was talking about something and Martha kind of like put her down and she's like, hey, look, I'm allowed to have feelings. Like, I'm allowed to... My feelings are valid, even if you don't see that. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And then she, like, they were just like, look, I don't hate you. I don't hate you either. Oh, okay. Why are we talking like this? And then they, like, offered actual criticism of each other where it's like, you are in a princess bubble and everybody treats you like a princess, like, you know, or this. And she's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, and she's like, yeah. So, like, the way that you view the world is skewed because that's not how everybody's treated. And she's like, wow. Yeah, all right. And then, like, without skip, like, just yes and, right? Bethany was very fucking yes and in this movie. And then she tells Martha, well, like, you're super judgy because of other people because you don't want other people to decide they don't like you first. And she's like, yeah, that's fair. That's valid. And so they actually talked about their feelings, but not in that, like, that way where, like, you know, women will talk about, like, dudes or they'll talk about this. They, like, actually got down to the root and they're like, hey, this, hey, this. Oh, okay. I got you. I see you. And it's like, I really liked that. And so I found myself like thinking about that, how like the, you know, because in a lot of ways, like in that scene, Bethany was like talking because like I was also like, while Bethany's like, oh, God, no cell phone reception service, whatever, whatever she said. Like, I was like, oh, God, please. Right. And then like she straight up calls out Martha for saying that. And in the same way, she's calling out the audience for having this idea of her and who she is and like her value based on her stereotype. And she's like, hey, you don't get to do that because I am valid. I have feelings. I am a person. And I think that like at first I was like, great, like everybody's a stereotype. And then the further that we got into the movie, I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, at least with the with the women's characters, right? Because oh, yeah. they were just so good. It was just like, yeah, you're right. Even if you're a stereotype, you're still a person. There's there's human existence outside of exterior perception. There's there's an existence outside of a perception of the performance of like existing when people see you and they perceive you and they think of you in X, Y, or Z based on other people they've seen who are X, Y, and Z. That's just perception. That's not fact that's not factual it's ridding itself of stereotype ridding itself of expectation based upon prejudged or prejudicial i guess notions or um thoughts right so yeah and and i agree with you i i thought that that um they did a really good job especially with their relationship um the two of them in deciphering that and 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 really i don't know getting into that more more so than they did with fridge and um what's his name not alex the the rock oh god somewhere because because their whole thing like you said it was just like it was so spencer spencer what a forget a bit on there we go spencer <laughs> but yeah so spencer and fridge <laughs> like their whole thing was so surface and silly and like they were friends but now they're not and now fridge feels emasculated because he's smaller which was a whole nother conversation about like casual character body shaming a little bit where it's like it just it felt there there was like a whole thing and then the, like the joke about his big dick i was like okay yeah like so some of that stuff and i've seen this here yeah i'm like, like i'm happy yeah. i brought this with me like what what oh sure great <laughs> cool but their their relationship how it developed and like to where they came to some sort of understanding it was so it didn't it didn't feel as real as the other it felt it felt forced. It didn't oh, feel nuanced. Uh, yeah. It didn't feel 
true. It just felt very like, yeah, bro. Okay, bro. And you're like, oh. You're like, okay, bro. Like, yeah, what? exactly. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just, it seemed, it, their their whole dynamic seemed incredibly silly to me. Yeah, and it's it's weird because I felt like they never really grew past that caricature that uh, that we were told to think of them as. Yeah. You know? So, like, Spencer is, like, kind of a germaphobe, and he just likes school and stuff, and then a jock that likes to drink, because, of, of course, the jock likes to drink, right? Yeah. And he'll, like, slam him back. Um, they didn't have any growth, whereas, like, like we were talking about, like, Bethany, like, learning to be selfless and to let go of image and and acceptance, right? And then um, Martha, like, learning to open up and accept female friendship and accept, like, her femininity, too, mm-hmm. and, like, feel powerful in, in that and even in, like, her, her weaknesses and all of that. Whereas, like, at the end, like, Spencer's big thing is, what if I don't go back? What if I stay like this forever? And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, what if what have you done? Like... I mean, there's been like some some cool like fight scenes, I guess, with you. But like, you, what did you learn? You learned nothing. Like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, what? Where? Where is that growth? Where? Where is the growth that we're seeing from other characters? It's not. It just wasn't as clearly present or illustrated in the same way. So now that I'm thinking back on it, I'm like, wow, because I I was going to this conversation and it's like cool i love this and i thought this was really fun and then like i like as we're talking through it i'm like like really that one scene colored my whole view of this whole film (laughs) (laughs) and now it's like looking back at it i'm like okay cool what what else are my notes on most of them are on the two women (laughs) and then how trauma adapts cool yeah like because jumanji adapts right because it's like okay cool so people aren't doing this thing anymore but i'm gonna do this thing i'm gonna turn into this thing now i loved that scene that was pretty cool where the physical game of jumanji was like oh people like video games now cool 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 cool. got it go to bed and then in the morning we'll just figure it out and then it opens the board and he's like video game cartridge jumanji like oh okay adapting (laughs) we're really going for it (laughs) yeah all right cool yeah I also want to talk about something that I really loved. Again, the majority of the growth is with the women, right? Mm-hmm. So um, just like in the last one, um, once once they beat the game, then uh, events go back to when the very first person played the game. So like Robin Williams was a kid again and got to live his whole life and the whole thing. Then in this one, the same thing happened, right? And we don't realize that when the kids are or the teenagers are walking up to... Um, uh, Alex's house and he's a older man now with a family and yeah. stuff and they zoom in on Bethany right because it's like oh how she's gonna feel and she was just like dude this is awesome I'm so happy for you you have a family you're you're here you're doing it like and like because they had a moment like you know I feel like Hollywood like 25 years ago might have done the gross thing right um but like it was just like yeah no like you know thanks it, I'm I'm glad that you guys are like safe and everything's chill. I named my daughter after the person that saved my life, which yeah. like all right cool. But I'm glad I'm just 
part of me was like, oh, no, oh, no, they're not going to do this. Oh, no, oh, no, she's yeah. not going to be with her dad. Like, <laughs> oh, gross. And then she wasn't. And I was like, cool. And uh, they did. Uh, I feel like the way that was handled. Did you watch Stranger Things season three at all? Yeah. So um, one of the things I fucking loved about that season was they're setting up this whole romance between uh, the Scoops Ahoy people, right? And at the end, the way that they handle it, where they're just like, hey, no, I'm not into you because I'm gay. Yeah. And she, and he's just like, oh, like he, he takes a second to process. He's like, oh, oh, cool. Fucking awesome. Yeah. And without skipping a beat, they're right back to best friends and they're doing all the shit together and everything. And I felt like that's kind of how that scene played out in my head, um, like watching this. And I love that there was no like oh poor me or oh poor and i'm i'm just glad that we're moving past that and just letting people be happy for other people yeah it's like it's it's avoiding that idea or that trope of selfishly dwelling on something that like a forbidden fruit if you will is something that like you want and long for but can't have um even no matter how you which is super harmful right because no matter how you've prepared yourself in this way to expect something expect a romance or expect a future with this other person just because you wanted it to just sort of dissolve that and kind of understand that like oh well my understanding expectation isn't reality because this is the current reality this is new information great i'm gonna move past it cool I, you process it and you're like great cool done that scene from stranger things i was so impressed by like you're super right they had it had the, the same a very similar moment to it because the entire time you're getting this sort of budding romance between uh, the two of them. And then when, when you see them or when Bethany sees him in person, it's kind of like, Oh, good for you. I think it's a bit less. I, I got a little less of it in this movie only because of my sort of pre pre exposure to the gay love can't exist in this universe. thing. Yeah. So the fact that, uh, Bethany's avatar in this was a man and Alex's avatar was also a man mm-hmm. because they've set this context where gay love is a joke and like queer existence is like bullshit. I got less of that yeah. towards the end. And so the payoff of like her seeing Alex in the real world, I was kind of like, oh, well, yeah, cool. You know, but I understand what That's you're so, saying because yeah. it did 100% set it up to have that moment where she's like, She's thankful for what was and is moving on in the current present. She's she's accepting yeah. the present and just kind of saying thank you for it in that way and being like, I'm happy that you're still in my life and I'm happy that we're here. Yeah. But also I want to say like how fucking happy I am that we're doing this podcast together as like two people from different backgrounds because yeah. like I said, like I would not have gotten that like that read and that's part of my own shitty thing that i'm trying to like you know like grow from like when you know better you can do better and you can see all of these things and it's like now that you like said all of that i'm just like like fuck like that i don't that really sucks i I see what they were trying to do like and this is why it's so important to have you know, and I know we talk about this a lot, but to have uh, diversity in like the writing room and stuff like that too. Oh, like, because yeah. if there was a gay person, and and there should have been like somebody that was versed in all of this, like if they're going to try to write 
Jack Black to be a woman, but to also be this. And then, like, there's a way to do that where it's not, like you said, the butt of the joke. Yeah. And that that sucks. That sucks so bad. Well, truly, because that's, th- that's the whole conversation. Like, if you're going to create a narrative um, or even, like, a sub-narrative or a subplot, whatever, um, around the idea or the... Uh, the uncomfortable because in this they made it seem very uncomfortable the uncomfortable aspects of queer existence of like same-sex attraction or of gender queer existence or of non-binary existence or of if you're going to have a conversation about like gender at large like y'all better get it right <laughs> you know what i mean or have somebody who is who knows or who has that experience who has lived that life so like a queer person, uh, like more specifically a gay person, a trans person, somebody who sees gender in a very specific way or sees sexuality in a very specific way, especially when you're going to do this because like it just, again, it was a good movie and I did really like it 100%, but um, it just, they didn't like, it's either they didn't care or they intentionally chose to be shitty towards that community. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and that goes back to, like, you know, the dick jokes and things like that, too. Like, yeah. I mean, a lot of that felt very real to me yeah. uh, in terms of, like, my high school experience, right? Which was, like, 15 years ago now. Yeah. And so it's, like, a part of me was, like, oh, yeah, they they nailed high school. But also, like, really yeah. tone deaf. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that, I, I mean, like I said, the first time I watched it, I didn't get any of that. I was just, like, oh, okay, great. And then... Upon second viewing, I was like, oh, actually, that's, oh. And then once that lens was kind of, like, put in place, every time it would, like, appear, I would, like, try to really look at people's responses and, like, dialogue-wise, how are these other characters bumping up against a conversation about femininity and a male-presenting person? And, like, it just never responded well. And and, and I'm like, oh, well, that's dialogue. That's the script. Like, telling the story, you're writing these things, like... I don't know. I feel like I'm going really hard on it, well, but it just, I don't know. You should, you know, you, I just don't think it did a good job should. with it, but who they did do you, a good job with <laughs> is they uh, cast Missy Pyle, who I think is a queer icon. <laughs> I just love Missy wait, Pyle who? so much. She was the gym coach. Oh, she was in like yeah, Charlie yeah. and the chocolate factory <laughs> galaxy quest. Um, yeah. Like all of, you know, she's. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. She's Missy Pyle. She's Missy fucking Pyle. I love Missy Pyle. But even for that small moment, I was like, oh yeah. So, cause in my head, I'm like, well, they got the gay stuff wrong, but at least they had some queer representation, which I don't think she's gay or queer. <laughs> I think she's straight, but just, I don't, I, I don't know why I'm presenting her as such a, um, magnificent ally, but I really do love Missy Pyle. And that's kind of the end, of, the extent of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's great. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything else you have to say about this? Because I feel like uh, I feel like the only things that I really wanted to say were um, were just about how trauma adapts and talk about how it was forcing us to see prejudice and the women. That's like basically all I want. Uh, I've got a couple more things. They're not big. I just want to note them because I thought they were very funny. Um, Bethany's Instagram post is just rolled out of bed hashtag no filter hashtag love my life so stupid but i wrote it down because i think it's funny um (laughs) there was a gorgeous little dave and busters product placement because it's like games and then games um he like spencer is getting ready to go to school 
and he goes to grab his keys or something and it's like a dave and buster's water bottle and i was like oh wow look at that so fun oh my god really i totally missed yeah it was it was so (laughs) silly and then there's one other thing did you see hereditary no i didn't okay so alex wolf who plays spencer in this is in hereditary this came out a year before hereditary that movie is fucking phenomenal it is one of my favorite movies it's jarring it's a real fucked up film it's very scary but it's really good um alex wolf plays um the son in it and in this movie his mom says what did she say she's like she reminds him to bring his EpiPen to his dad's after school and there's a pivotal scene in hereditary where his little sister forgets her EpiPen, and then like some real bad oh, shit, shit happens and I, in my head i was really? like yeah <laughs> I think it's just complete coincidence, but in my head, I was like, wait a fucking second, y'all. Because again, it's like this, this key, like how often are we talking about EpiPens? But this key fucking prop, like they said it so confident. He's like, yeah, I won't forget it. A, a conversation about not forgetting his EpiPen. In the other movie, his little sister forgets her EpiPen and subsequently whatever, right? Like, I don't want to spoil anything, but X, Y, and Z. So I was like, ooh, that's a really interesting thing. I don't think it means anything again, but I thought it was like a weird little um, canonic plot device because I was like, what if Hereditary and Jumanji take place in the same universe? Anyways, that's the end of that. (laughs) I'm not. Wow, um, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. Well, speaking of like tie-ins and stuff, since we're like going down this tangent. So I want to say... That I love that Alex finds refuge at um, the old parish place at like the tree hut thing that Alan created while he was in Jumanji. And I love that Jumanji Uh like had that like it, it coded that into the game, if that makes sense, because like it, it could have just been left in the jungle, but they fucking brought that. Um, oh yeah the game decided to bring that or maybe it was just so well hidden right like the yeah. uh within the the world but like i liked that because again going on the the trauma thing and everything right like you are able to like you find safety in like helping others and in like you know listening to advice or seeing what other people have gone through before you yeah that sort of thing right like that sort of like connection uh, whatever. Um, but <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. I understand. It, yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> there's like a lot that like uh, I feel like I'm not doing a really good job of articulating um, this week because we have been stuck inside for like a whole month. Yes, we which have. I'm thriving. I'm doing great. Yeah. Thank you. But I'm still just like getting used to it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I fully feel uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was something else that I wanted. Oh, so, um, you know, Jumanji was based off of a book, right? yes and now i know so jumanji was based off of a picture book by chris van alsberg who wrote the polar express as well oh Um, okay and he wrote he wrote the book because he was frustrated with monopoly because he would spend all this time playing it as a kid and then just have fake dollars and he's like well wouldn't it be cool if like actual real stuff happened um which is cool so he wrote like a sequel to Jumanji that wasn't really a sequel, but it was like a space Jumanji. So you ended up in like <gasps> space or whatever. And then there was a film adaptation of it. Um, and it's called, uh, Zathura, uh, yeah, Zathura. 
Um, the film adaptation was like a pseudo sequel that was created in 2005 and starred Josh Hutchinson yes, and Kristen Zathura. Stewart. Zathura. Yes. Yeah, Zathura. That's how you pronounce it. <gasps> um, and it was literally, and it's in the same universe as Jumanji, literally only came to fruition because they wanted to sell books and movie tickets. Hell yeah. That was the whole thing because they wanted to capitalize on Jumanji, even though it wasn't Jumanji. <laughs> no shit. So this is not the first sequel. So maybe one day we should go back and do uh, uh, Zathura. Is that what it is? Zathura? Zathura. I, I mean, I pronounce it Zathura. No Zathura. shit. That's exactly. Wh- wow. Yeah. So Walter and Danny, who anticipate a boring day, are shocked when they begin playing Zathura, a space-themed board game, which they realize has mystical powers. When their house is shot into space, with the help of an astronaut, the boys attempt to return home. I guess it's the same thing, but without death or possible um, death. Yeah, it's basically it's basically the same thing. And the and Chris Van Alsberg also wrote that. Like, so it was it was also a book too. Um, so I love wild, that. Right? Chris Stewart and Josh Hutcherson um, were the two leads. That is so, so yeah. fucking funny. And uh, so since we're on the subject of the author, um, he said like, so he wrote it because of Monopoly, but the reason he decided to um, like have the books and everything take place inside of a house is because he wanted uh, there to be anarchy and chaos in the midst uh, and like stuff that was like uncontrollable inside of a house, which is like, generally associated with like control and and things like that yeah um so i mean that's pretty cool that is cool damn i like that <laughs> i'm still tripping yeah, out on, Zay, um, on the so, um, so that's pretty tight i'm yeah that's sick i had no i did i know that no i didn't no i that's space that's, jumanji space jumanji i mean called. maybe i'll watch that now that sounds sick i'm super on board for space jumanji huh do you know what Jumanji means? No. Jumanji means many effects in Sulu. Many Get effects? It? Because when you roll the dice, many different effects can happen. What? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh, man. We did it. We watched it. We watched the 1995 Jumanji. We watched... Jumanji, welcome to the jungle from 2017. What did we think about the first one? Who is it for? Who is it for? Uh, the first Jumanji is for. Uh, <laughs> who is it for? Uh, <laughs> it was for the gays. Did only you because, say the gays? Only because <laughs> okay. It's for yeah. It's for the queer community. Um, it's for the gays because of Kristen Dunst and Robin Williams's legs. That's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I stand by it. I'm going to say, and honestly, at the end of the day, I'm not even going to say the gays. I'm going to just say me, Eric the Fibri. <laughs> it was a film for me. Uh, it was a little treat. <laughs> it was just like a sweet little treat of a movie. Yeah. Who do you think it was for? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I think that it was for people suffering from grief and trauma. I'm going to go the serious route. I was trying to think of something yeah. funny, but I can't. I think it was people that need to see that it's okay to rely on other people and it's okay to be lost and scared and just be there together. I'm on board with that. Um, no, that's a, yeah, that's a great answer. Did you like it? I loved it. I loved it. 
Did you like it? it? I will watch you... this. I, I think I've watched this like every five years or something. Like oh, unintentionally. Great. Like it just like is on or it's like here and I'm like, oh yeah. But like I was looking up um, facts for this and I was like, uh, they were like, oh, they sold the, the board game and stuff. I was like, fuck yeah, I would own one of those board games, right? Like especially if it was like the, the cool ass um, like wooden one. Like it was like like more of like a replica, right? Do you know how much the original one sold for on fucking eBay? Because this this showed up in all my fucking searches and everything. $60,000. plus dollars. That's sick. That's a lot of fucking money. Yo, yeah. I if I will fucking hand carve you one for $60,000. Well, there there was one I saw on eBay yesterday cuz I looked it up too. Um <laughs> cuz I was like, "Ooh, I kind of want this." Uh it is a wooden hand carved one. I think it was going for like 450 bucks. Um it looked pretty authentic. It looked pretty solid. Um it looked cool. So, I was like, "Hey, maybe." But 60 grand Good for them. That's for the one that they used in the film. Yeah. That's gotcha. wild. Gosh. Must be nice to be rich, yeah. huh? What's that money like? I know. <laughs> Truly. Uh, what did you think of the 2017 one? Was it new and interesting or the same? Progressive, regressive, and has the story evolved with today's ideals? Take it away. I think it was new and interesting in its video game thing and also the fact that it was like a story that takes place within the game not outside of the game because the first one was like we never saw what the inside of the game looks like it was everything that was coming out of the game whereas this one was the opposite going inside the game seeing everything what's what exists inside Jumanji as opposed to what exists or what Mm. can come from Jumanji so in that way I was like oh yeah this is cool take um I thought it did a good job of generally, I guess, evolving with the ideals apart from the uh, queer treatment of uh, its characters. Um, But yeah, progressive or regressive? I don't think it was either progressive or regressive. I think it was pretty even. I think it stayed the same. What do you think? Um, I thought it was new and like interesting, kind of like, oh, cool. But, like, truthfully, I like the idea. Like, at first, it's like, cool, in the video game and stuff like that, right? But, again, just mm-hmm. because it's new and interesting. But thinking about it, it's like, you know what? I think I like the uncertainty and the, like, and the idea of things that you don't know coming out of a game and affecting your real life. You know? Yeah. Like, I mean, you die in the game, you die in real life in this one, right? But, like, mm-hmm. I, I like the other premise a little bit better this one i was just like on board for like right away because i was like cool it's in a video game all right but yeah um i i'm gonna say it was regressive because of all the shit that you know with um with jack black but so it was regressive in the treatment of that subject and but i feel like it was progressive in the way uh that the female characters responded to each other um again mostly because of that one scene that like i'm probably like fucking making out to be a way bigger deal than it was uh but like that to me i think um was really great and really interesting and in the way that it forced the viewer through like and i think we talked about this in a in a separate episode um 
how when you're dealing with these types of uh, like calling out the audience and things like that or like, you know, uh, forcing them to reckon with their own biases and prejudices and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Like there's a way to do that. And like so Rocco's Modern Life did that by making the main character the person that is resistant to all of that. And you're like, no, like you suck. Like, come on. Right. Um, uh, by making Rocco that person that uh, and this one did it in a in another really smart way, I think, with um, how the characters were allowed to call each other out and the way they did it and the timing and everything. I, I thought that that was really cool. And I'd like to see more of that kind of stuff because we, like it or not, learn how to talk and communicate and stuff through film. and. Oh, 100%. I completely agree with you. I loved the way that they did that. And we do. Yeah, yeah we're so, so we're so we're so unconsciously receptive to a lot of these themes and like the way that characters in media interact like even if we're not like well no i don't like we we learn a lot from 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 these written stories these ideas of people right like these tropes a lot of it too is like we subconsciously take in and perform a lot of what we're seeing performed through media generally whether whether or not we're aware of it and we decide what is normalized by that too right truly so, yeah um I, I feel like some of the, the behavior and some of the tropes that this film was addressing was done in a pretty regressive way. Or like you like you said, yeah. I mean, it might not have been regressive. It might have just been status quo. But like I've come mm-hmm. to expect better of myself and of like the media and things that I consume. But yeah, like it's it's all again, you know better, you do better. So do better. Damn it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who was it for? I'm going to say this one was for uh, the gamer community oh, at large. One thousand percent. It was yeah. for me. Like, like you were saying all the earlier. times I... that I have had to, in a video game, like wait around for some character that doesn't run as fast as me or that doesn't really serve a purpose, but is just hanging around. Every time that I've tried to get more information out of an NPC, and they just repeat the same fucking thing over and over. Yeah. Like, whenever... Uh, God, like, uh, there there were so many... What did, I, I wrote some of the, the video game things that I liked. Like, um, and the cutscene moment? Like, the cutscene moment, yeah. the uh, That was really cute. Uh, how the map was being unlocked as you explored. Just, yes. And I, I did really love the uh, commentary on how um, there was only the outfit choice for uh, the game developers and this game, Jumanji, um, to... Uh, put onto their female character because there was only one female character in this film and of course there was like you know five dudes or four dudes or whatever five dudes yeah but uh only one woman in this movie yeah no 100 it like it it really hit on a lot of those video game tropes and so it just sort of it made fun of and acknowledged a lot of those in a very fun way that like even if you don't play games like there's sort of it, it it's like not necessarily um grotesque exposition but like exposition in a way that felt natural in a way that was like oh this is what is happening in this game blah you know what i mean yeah and anybody that's played a video game which is most people at this point 
right? Uh, mm-hmm. No matter what kind of video game that you've played, I feel like you could resonate with some of what they were saying, you know, with just like picking a game. And I think it was also really smart that they used like an Atari or like like a Nintendo Super Nintendo type game for like, because it's like, okay, cool. Here's very simple character selection and here's this. Like, so it felt like the barrier to entry was, wasn't as high as it could have been, like as it is. And like, you know, there's a lot of like anime that deals with like the, you die in the game, you die in real life because you're sucked (laughs) in and you're here now. Right. And like the barrier to entry for that can be a little bit high, like, you know, like sort out online or dot hack or something where if you're used to playing, you know, like, MMORPGs, then cool. This is like your shit. Just eat it up, eat it up. It's so good. It's so good. Even when it's bad, it's good, you know, because you just feel your struggles represented. And then, um, this was just like, just very, it was, it was light. It was nice. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Did you like it? Um, yeah, it was, I, I felt, I felt like it was fine. I felt like it was fun. I probably, I don't know if I'd watch it again. Okay. But I might because I really like Karen Gillan and dance fighting was cute. Yeah. What about you? I liked it. I mean, apart from all of all of like the shit I talked about it, I did like it. <laughs> I did think it was a, a a good and fun movie generally. I thought it was interesting. It was cool. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I would say if you like her and you just want like more of that character, not necessarily the same story. I would love to get your input on the sequel. Oh, okay. To this, because she's in it and she's great. She's she's like one of my favorite parts of the second one. Her uh, Aquafina is in the second one also. She's great. Oh, um, is she? I fucking love her. Yeah, yeah, she's in it. She's really good. Um, and so is Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito's in the second one too, and he's fucking Weird. fantastic. Yeah. Okay. I love. Yeah. So I say it's. I don't think it's a good movie generally, but. I did, I mean, from for the most part, I enjoyed it apart from all of the problematic bullshit that it carried. So I would like to hear your opinion on it. <laughs> I will watch it and I will let you know. Um, cool. I think that's it. I think we covered all of our bases. Awesome. Bases are covered. The <laughs> game has been beaten. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. We hope, again, that everybody is staying safe. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, ideas, want to be a guest, I don't know, whatever, write into us at nostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on all of the social media, mostly Instagram and Twitter. That is <laughs> kind of where we live, I guess. Um We'd love to hear from you, please. And if you haven't already, please rate and review us and we will send you our eternal gratitude. And I don't know, maybe stickers, maybe shirts. Maybe we'll have some of that soon at some point. I personally really want a shirt or a sticker that says stay cute and critical. I think that would be really cute. Yeah, I think that would be super cute. If you want one, let me know. Also, okay. Special thanks to David Tercero for providing technical support, Danny Barkley for editing our podcast. My goodness, you're a wizard. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, thank you, Danny. Also, thank you, Eric, for being great. Thank you, Jess. This is a yeah. treat and a joy, and I love doing this. Yeah, and remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.